Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father, through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, we're continuing our sermon series entitled Pick a Number. And as I begin this sermon, I want to start out with giving you a number. Uh, The number that we're going to begin this sermon thinking about is 1%. 1%. How much money do you have to make to be in the top 1% of wealth? Well, that depends. It depends on your location. It depends on the scale that you are using. Uh, For instance, to be in the top 1% of wealth in New York City you have to make $700,000 a year. San Francisco, $800,000 a year. Uh, Jackson Hole, Wyoming, of all places, $1.6 million a year to be in the top 1% of wealth. Now, if you pan out a little bit and you expand the scale to a national level, that number changes. Uh, To be in the top 1% of wealth in the United States of America, you have to make $450,000 a year. What if you pan out, what if you scale out a little bit more? Now, before I share this number, uh, the world figure, let me tell you a little bit about it. Apparently, these numbers are kind of hard to come by. There's a lot of different factors and a lot of different experts uh, agonize over how to come up with this number. So it depends on the expert you talk to and the methodology he or she uses. But a number of studies have said that to be in the top 1% of wealth in the world, you have to make $34,000 a year. $34,000 a year. Uh, Some studies put that number a little higher. $50,000 or $70,000, but either way, in the United States of America today, if you are a teacher, an electrician, a nurse, an accountant, you are very likely in the top 1% of wealth in the world. Even graduate students, graduate students, uh, they're in the top 2 or 5% of wealth. Uh, This is kind of hard to believe, isn't it? We are rich. Many of us here today uh, could say that we are rich on a global scale. Now, we may not feel rich, right? We may look at our neighbors and say, well, that person has more money than I do. We may look at our neighborhood and say, well, uh, there's a nicer neighborhood down the street. Or we look at the people at our office and say, well, I know so-and-so makes more than I do. My investment portfolio isn't as big as hers or his. On a global scale, we're rich. And we heard these words from 1 Timothy chapter 6. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. As for the rich in this present age, we can't really get off the hook, can we? We can't say, well, that's about my rich neighbor, or that's about my rich friend or my rich uncle. The truth is, many of us here today are part of that number the rich in this present age. 
Now that verse goes on, it talks more than just about the rich in this present age, but it talks about God and God's nature and God's heart for you and for me, right? Uh, This verse here, particularly verse 17, tells us one of the most basic biblical fundamental truths. God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Uh, That echoes a biblical truth that from Genesis to Revelation, and that truth is this, God is invested in you. God is invested in you. God is invested in us collectively, but God is invested in you personally. And we see this through all of Scripture, right? God, the creator of the universe, the one who made all things, investing in us. In the beginning, God creates Adam and Eve and he makes them good. He declares all that he made very good. He pours himself into them, giving them life and breath and everything they need to sustain this life. And even when they rebelled, even when they went the opposite direction, God invested in them some more. You know, one of the basic things that that comes up when we talk about investing is what's your time horizon? How long are you going to be in this investment? Is it short-term or is it long-term? And as we look at God in the beginning, we realize that his investment in us is not short-term. It's long-term. Even when his investment, when his creation rebelled, he said, I'm with you. I'm for you. I'm going to pour into you for all eternity. And this is what God has done. Genesis 3 After his creation rebels against him, God begins this eternal investment into them. Genesis 3, 15, the first promise of the gospel in Scripture. God is speaking this to the serpent, but it's actually a promise to you and to me. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, you shall bruise his heel. God is saying to the serpent, but to all of us, he's saying, I will send a savior. I'm going to pour into you. I'm going to invest into you. I'm going to send you a redeemer to buy you back. And God does this through the generations. He reiterates this promise through Noah, through the flood. God reiterates this promise. He invests further with Abraham. Genesis 17, God says to Abraham, I will establish my covenant between me and you your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. This everlasting, this eternal investment, God reiterates, it pours into uh, his creation again through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Joshua, all the way through the prophets, thousands of years, generation after generation. So the arrival of Jesus and John the Baptist sees him. God, come with us. God, come to us. And he says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Brothers and sisters, God is invested in you, not for the short term, but for all eternity. And another thing that comes up when people talk about investments They talk about the time horizon, how long are you invested. Another thing is, what's your risk tolerance? What are you willing to risk for this investment? Are you going to put a little in, or are you going to go all in? 
And as we think about how God is invested in us, we realize his risk tolerance, it's unlimited. It's absolutely unlimited. God has said, I will give everything I have, that which is most precious. On the cross of Christ, we see God giving it all, body and blood, breath, his last beat of his heart, sweat, tears, pain, anguish, suffering, everything, going to the cross, going to the tomb, rising, victorious. God has said, I am unlimited with what I'm willing to pour into you. Uh, We hear this in Romans 8. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? God has shown to you and to me that he's all in, willing to invest everything he has to have you, to give you life, to forgive you, to make you new. And as we think about that, as we just marvel in this investment, this eternal, all-in investment that God has done for us in Jesus, we can't help but then think, well, how am I investing? How am I spending and using these gifts that God has given to me? God has invested in me with an eternal horizon. What am I doing with the gifts God's given to me? Am I using them on a five-minute horizon or a five-year horizon or a 50-year horizon? Or am I using them and thinking about them, these gifts that God's given me, am I using them on an eternal horizon? Am I investing in eternity? Am I using these gifts, my time, my talents, my money, my, my possessions, all that God has blessed me with, am I using them according to his will and for his purposes? And as we're starting to think about this in the sermon, I want to show you a brief video. Uh, this video is going to help us think about what is our horizon? Are we using these gifts for the here and now or, or somehow for something bigger than that? Uh, so take a look at this video. and It's going to help us ask some of these questions and begin to think through this.
something eternal. Do something eternal. That's really echoing the words of Jesus in Matthew 6, right? Jesus tells us, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Now what does that mean? What does it mean to to do something eternal, to have treasures, not on earth, but treasures in heaven? Uh, You know, we have to to realize, what, what do we mean when we say heaven? I think often our mind goes to somewhere far, far away, right? Heaven is a far, far away place. Heaven is uh, maybe somewhere in the clouds. Uh, Heaven is something that's spiritual, not physical. So when Jesus says, have treasures in heaven, he must be saying, don't have treasures here. Don't have physical treasures. It's a problem, right? Because we all have a lot of stuff. We have house and home, uh, food and clothing, uh, children and spouse. We have laptops, cars. We have television. We have all kinds of things. What does it mean to have treasure in heaven? Well, in the Gospel of Matthew, when we hear in heaven, it's not referring to some place that's far, far away. And it's not referring to the clouds. Uh, When we hear about heaven, it's not referring to spiritual, non-physical things. But instead, uh, throughout Scripture, but mostly in the Gospel of Matthew, heaven is about the reign and rule of God. The kingdom of heaven, the reign and rule of God coming to us. And we see this all throughout Matthew. Uh, Jesus, early in his ministry, begins preaching and teaching. Matthew 4, he says, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He's saying, hey guys, the reign and rule of God, it's here. In my teaching, in my ministry, the reign and rule of God has come. Matthew 6 Just before Jesus teaches about possessions, he's teaching about prayer. And Jesus teaches his disciples, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The reign and rule of God in heaven and on earth. So when Jesus tells us have treasures in heaven, he's saying let God's will be done. Let God's kingdom come. Let God's reign and rule Come over your possessions. Come over your stuff. Hand it over to the reign and rule of God. Now, what does that look like? What does that mean for us to give our possessions to the reign and rule of God? I had coffee with someone this week as I was working on the sermon. And he's a financial advisor and I was picking his brain on some stuff along the lines of the sermon. And we said, yeah, what would it look like to hand your house over to the reign and rule of God? What would it look like to do that with your car? And we realized it's probably not these big grand gestures. It's probably the basic things of being a follower of Jesus. So your house and home, handing that over to the reign and rule of God is first admitting it's not my own. I don't own this house, but it's a gift from God that I get to now use. And now I get to use it for raising a family. I get to use this house for being a place that fosters marriage and family and friendship and hospitality. I get to use this house as a place of prayer and study of God's word. This house is a gift of God. I'm handing it over to his reign and rule. The same thing with your stuff, your laptop, your television, your car. 
all of these things, praying over them, saying, God, how could I use this? How could I use this well? How could I use this to follow your will and for the betterment of my neighbors, for the proclamation of the gospel? That might be using your car safely, going the speed limit. That might be using your car to go to work, to do an honest job and to bring home money to your family to provide for them, handing these things over to the reign and rule of God. Same thing with our bank account, our investment portfolio, praying over it, saying, God, what would you have me do with this for your kingdom? Here's the thing. We're rich, not just here in this place in the United States, but we are spiritually rich. God has invested in you and me for eternity. And that changes everything. That changes how we use our gifts. Not for the here and now, not for five minutes or 50 years or 500 years, but for eternity. This is most certainly true. Now may the peace of God which surpasses all understanding guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. 